Hello and welcome to Herbert Smith Freehills' Inside the Headlines podcast. Every year we go out to campuses across the UK to show students some examples of the work we do and the work they could be doing should they join us as a trainee. This year is no different, but we're creating a series of podcasts so you can hear from people who worked on each project to understand what they did and get a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to work on them. I'm Scott Warren, an associate in Herbert Smith Freehills' dispute resolution team here in London, and I'm also an ambassador for our graduate recruitment campaign. I'll be hosting today's podcast and speaking with Bob Moore and Emily Thomas about a recent case they worked on for Virgin Atlantic around the takeover of regional airline Flybe. We'll be covering what the case is about and hear about their experiences of working on it. If you had any feedback or want to know more about graduate opportunities at Herbert Smith Freehills, please do visit our website, which is careers.herbertsmithfreehills.com forward slash UK forward slash grads. And we hope you enjoy this podcast. So as I said, I'm here with Bob and Emily. Uh, I think it'd probably be worthwhile if you could both briefly introduce yourself, just your role at the firm and also what your role was within this case. Sure. Hi, my name is Bob Moore. I am a partner in our corporate division. I act for many listed companies and also large international conglomerates, helping them with mergers and acquisitions and other transactions around the globe. On the Flybe transaction, I was the lead corporate partner advising on the transaction and overseeing the other specialist areas. Sounds great. And Emily? Yeah, I'm Emily. I'm an associate in the corporate team in London with Bob. I just qualified into the group. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I've been back for about two months, so I'm an NQ, but I sat in this group as a trainee, which is when I worked on the Virgin takeover of Flybe. Amazing. And so, Bob, Could you give us a one-minute hot topic summary of this transaction, what we were asked to do, what we did, and and what the outcome was? Sure. Our client, Virgin Atlantic, asked us to advise them on the possible acquisition of Flybe, the largest regional carrier in the EU. We explored, first of all, with Virgin Atlantic, whether they would make a takeover offer for Flybe, because Flybe was subject to the UK takeover code as a UK incorporated company listed on the London Stock Exchange. After much work and many months and a lot of due diligence to understand the business, the risks, the liabilities, and also the assets, our client ultimately decided to pursue an acquisition but as part of a consortium with two other industry players. That acquisition was announced to the market by way of a takeover offer to be implemented by a scheme of arrangement. But because Flybe was in a rather parlous financial state, the period in which it would take to complete that takeover offer was too long such that during that period Flybe would have gone out of business. As a result, a agreement was entered into with Flybe to purchase all of the assets of the operating subsidiaries below the listed company. 
that transaction completed uh, much quicker than a takeover would have done. And as part of it, we also achieved a derogation from the EU merger regime where they recognised that it was important that the transaction complete before Flybe go insolvent. The approval from the EU authorities ultimately then came in summer 2019. I guess, Bob, let's dive straight in. Who were the parties involved in this transaction? Our client was Virgin Atlantic, but they came together with other industry players to form a a consortium. And together they made a takeover bid and then ultimately acquired Flybe, which is an airline and actually Europe's largest regional carrier. So this transaction involved Flybe. Um, Why were they on the market? Why were they available to be bought? Good question. The industry players who are most successful are either ones who have a very successful short-haul business with lots of profitable routes and are of such scale that they are able to benefit from synergies such as EasyJet Ryanair, or ones who are able to both combine long-haul and short-haul. So they can pick somebody up in Newcastle, fly them to Manchester, and then they get on a plane of the same airline or an affiliated airline to, to go to Florida or New York. Flybe was a short-haul carrier with many, many routes, but unfortunately had been struggling for several years. This wasn't, this isn't unique to them. Some people, you may have heard of other airlines that have gone, gone insolvent, such as Monarch mm-hmm. and Air Berlin, and they also were, were struggling Flybe, and, and a few reasons for that. Number one, the dreaded Brexit, which has led to uncertainty, people not travelling as much, and the drop in the pound. Why, is, why does the drop in the pound affect airlines? Well, because airlines buy a lot of things, such as services and fuel, in dollars. They are dollar markets. But essentially, if you're selling tickets in pounds, your revenue is coming in pounds, but you're buying in dollars, and pounds buy much fewer dollars, mm. then you see your, your, your earnings, your profitability drop. Yeah, it's a foreign exchange problem there. Exactly. And that's what happened to Flybe over over a period of a couple of years, such that they were struggling and ultimately put themselves up for sale by what we call a formal sales process. Great. Thanks so much for that. Um, So you, Bob, I know because I sat with you as a trainee when I was making my way through the corporate department. And so you do a lot of aviation related work. But what was kind of so interesting about this particular case? So the thing that made it most interesting, number one is it was high profile. And whilst it is possible to have lots of really interesting, we do have lots of interesting cases that don't make it to the news. When it is in the news and when people have heard of the product or the service or the client involved, Mm. it gives it a little bit more interest. Here, particularly, Flybee's troubles were well known. It, It had been struggling for a while. And there was a lot of speculation about its future and whether it could continue to trade. And when you have a company that is close to insolvency or struggling, then everything becomes more heightened. The time deadlines become much shorter Mm -hmm. and the pressure becomes a lot greater. And And that's what we found here. So, Bob, you mentioned that Virgin Atlantic were part of a consortium. And I know that this is a feature of airline transactions to an extent. Um, What were the benefits to Virgin Atlantic of being in a consortium with Stobart and Cyrus? So a consortium often has a couple of benefits. Number one, 
is risk sharing and also obviously reward sharing as a result. But sharing the financial burden is a benefit of a consortium. The second reason is actually the different expertise that can be brought together. And this was a good example here. So you had Virgin Atlantic, a experienced long-haul airline renowned for its excellent customer service, coming together with Stobart Air, who own Southend Airport and also have franchise agreements to fly flights under separate airplanes for Flybe, together with Cyrus Capital, who are a private equity fund in the US, so bring funding, but also were experienced in the airline industry, having been an investor in Virgin America. Yeah. And Emily, was this your first case um, in the corporate team? And what did you find kind of interesting about it? Obviously, corporate is one of those hub departments within the firm that often employs and uses different uh, different teams, different transactional markets all around Herbs and Three Horses network. So this wasn't the first transaction that I worked on, but it was the first public transaction. So mm. That was quite different to the normal style of private acquisitions that we usually advise on. So I had to get my head around the new set of rules and different timeframes which that involved. But yeah, as with any corporate transaction, we work with people across the firm. And I had to email and phone other departments across HSF, such as tax team or competition and pensions. And this was really interesting because you get to meet or speak to a wide variety of people that maybe you wouldn't otherwise come across. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good and interesting point. Um, Bob, picking up on something that Emily just mentioned uh, about Flybee being a public takeover and how that's not always the norm, could you just briefly give us a summary for the, any listeners as to the difference between a public takeover and a private acquisition? Yeah, so a public takeover is one that is subject to the UK Takeover Code and essentially listed companies that are based in the UK are subject to the Takeover Code and there is a different set of rules that apply when those companies are sold then applies, for instance, to companies that are not listed and have their shares admitted to trading. And essentially, there are heightened protections for those shareholders because by their nature, they can be held by the public, by your and my grandmother. And so as a result, the legislation and regulations seek to protect those people more than, for instance, private shareholders who, whilst they have certain protections under the law, because the shares have not been offered publicly, don't need to have quite as many. Bob, what was the outcome of this transaction? How did it all end up for those that weren't avidly following the aviation press at the time? So ultimately, um, the, the consortium, which was Virgin Atlantic, Stobart Air and Cyrus Capital, made a takeover offer for Flybe. That offer was ultimately accepted and, and went through. But before that happened, Flybe's position worsened considerably shortly after the takeover offer was announced to such extent that it was considered that they would not be able to continue operating during the usual takeover period. And when I say the usual takeover period, obviously you announce an offer, but because shareholders are involved, they either need to accept that offer 
or they need to vote in favour. And the rules require that they're given a certain amount of time in which to do that. That amount of time, in, in essence, was too long um, for the for the company to survive with that ongoing uncertainty because, of course, the shareholders may have said no. And indeed, the offer that was made by the consortium was only one pence per share, which was considerable discount to where the company had previously been trading. So that uncertainty was heightened. So the takeover offer ultimately went through. But as I said, there was uncertainty there. And so that led to a change of structure. And so what was unique about this transaction is that it started with a takeover offer being announced. And that ultimately went through. But in the meantime, all of the operating companies below the listed holding company were sold to the consortium. And the reason for that was it allowed the deal to complete almost immediately without that uncertainty and for the deal to get done. The point to flag is why doesn't that always happen or why did that happen here is normally you would just wait for the period to elapse. Here we didn't have the time and we were also able, because of a nuance of Flybee's structure, which meant that we were able to acquire all the assets without shareholder approval. Sounds like a very novel structure. Yes. So Bob, other than your vast amount of experience in this sector, why do you think specifically HSF were approached? So we have worked for the Virgin Group for many years. Obviously, the Virgin Group is ultimately owned by Richard Branson. And we have been advisor to the Virgin Group and many of its companies over several years. We particularly work very closely with Virgin Atlantic. And that has involved uh, several competition cases over the years. But more recently, when 49% of Virgin Atlantic was sold to Delta, we acted on that sale. So it made sense for us to continue to help them with this acquisition. And that's clearly the relevant expertise that you brought. But what specifically were HSF asked to do in this transaction? Yeah, so we have a we have a leading aviation practice, which is three real core elements to it. Is firstly competition regulator in trade. There is a huge amount of regulation mm-hmm. involved in aviation, and there was on this transaction, including merger regulation from the EU. The second element is M and A, and that was the structuring of the acquisition and completing it. And the third is in relation to financing. That's a key element of any transaction, but particularly in the aviation space. And there are various other areas as well. The reality is that you actually work very closely with your client. And there is a huge amount that they are doing and you are doing together. It isn't the case that they just hand it all over to the lawyers to do. But I think there are two elements here. Number one, and we shouldn't ignore the fact, there's just a huge amount to be done in a short period of time because of the state of Flybe and also by the pressure of the rules which required transactions to be completed as quickly as possible. So clients don't have that internal resource and we're offering that firstly. The second point is that these transactions are by their nature complicated They involve many different areas of law and it isn't possible for a client to have all of that expertise in-house. So just to take this transaction, for instance, we had a public takeover 
which requires advice on the takeover code and the production of documentation, such as an offer document, a Rule 2.7 announcement. That is not something that many people can do. There is, if there is a pension scheme, there are incredibly complicated pensions rules, which happily I don't understand, but, but our pension lawyers do. Employment issues arise when you're acquiring a business and ensuring that all the employment employees' rights are properly protected. You have real estate assets when buying an airline, if you, if you, if you think about it, whether that be hangars or headquarters or rights to use certain parts of airports. And so you put all of these together and I've missed out financing and I've missed out almost the biggest work stream that was on this transaction, which was the regulatory and the merger control requirements, which were led by our competition regulatory and trade team. Once you put all those together, we're talking of a team of maybe 100 people all working together, all doing their bit. And that's why in these circumstances, clients need outside advisors. But as I said, our instructions still come from the client. So the client still runs the show. We just help them implement it. And Bob is the lead partner I guess your day-to-day role is not only providing that corporate experience, not only from the aviation sector, but on the parts of the public office that you're an expert on, but also, as you mentioned, liaising with your fellow partners across all of those different teams to make sure that you can pull that advice together in a way that's digestible and understandable by the client. Yeah, but corporate lawyers always believe that they, A, work harder than anybody else, and B, have to know everything because they have to be all over the advice that comes from different parts of the firms. Scott, I can see you you disagreeing with me um, through your eyes there and lots of, lots of our colleagues do as well. But there is an element that the whoever the lead partner is, and if it's an M&A transaction, it will be the corporate partner. If it's a financing transaction, it'll be a banking partner. But somebody has to quarterback it and that person has to at least have a have an understanding, not a detailed understanding, but an understanding of how everything fits together. And so, yes, there is the role that we do both acting on the corporate company law aspects, but actually overseeing the deal as a whole. Picking up on that, Emily, obviously as a trainee in the corporate division, you are often at the coalface of liaising with different parts of hate. HSF, um, so thinking of the tax team, uh, employments, pensions and incentives. Can you just speak briefly about how you had to deal with different parts of the firm and what trainees' role in a large corporate public acquisition is? Yeah, so it often falls on the trainee to liaise with the different departments and they're the ones that have to pick up the phone or send an email asking them to carry out a certain piece of work and setting out the time frames. It's quite helpful as a trainee because you rotate around different departments as part of your training contract. So maybe you've already sat with one of the teams which you're working with or maybe you're going to move into that team and it's a helpful insight into the kind of work that they do. So as Bob mentioned, our competition team was heavily involved, but also there was some intellectual property aspects and I sat there when I was a trainee. So it was nice to be able to put a face to the names of the people we were working with. Also, the tax and the finance teams were involved and I knew other trainees who were working in those groups and that helped 
bring a more human element rather than just sending out pieces of work. We actually um, work together as a team. Emily, and from your perspective, obviously, you dealt as a trainee with different people from all around the firm, giving you all different types of advice. And how much did you have to understand about those kind of areas in order to be able to do the corporate role that you did on this transaction? So as a corporate trainee, most of my work was focused on corporate law and understanding the company. But there were elements of working with the other teams and particularly when we were due diligencing the target, as I mentioned before, we had to review different aspects of the company from whether it was a pensions or a competition or a finance perspective. And corporate is often the team which is responsible for collating those responses. So as a trainee, you um, have more of an overview of the whole process and you're able to fit the pieces together to produce one overarching report. You don't need to be familiar with all of the details of each of the different specialities. You have a broader view of what's going on within the transaction and you know the overarching structure and timeframes maybe which other teams aren't so close to the action. So even as a trainee you find yourself giving advice to the other teams about what is expected and feeding in more details where relevant or saying if in the wider picture maybe there's a specific area which they should be focusing on or other areas which are maybe not so relevant and it's quite important to be able to focus the work so that people aren't going down the wrong track and costs aren't being wasted. Great thank you. Challenges. Let's talk challenges. A large transaction of this type is obviously going to be time pressured and especially one that's in the press. So Emily, could you give us a bit of a flavour as to what you thought the challenges, we found the challenges to be on a transaction of this type? Yeah, so on this transaction we were obviously under a lot of time pressure. This meant that we had to turn around documents very quickly and there wasn't often enough time to check your work as thoroughly as maybe you would like and you were racing against the clock. It comes down to a balance between getting things out and getting things to the level that you would normally want to send them. But there's a higher level of scrutiny because everything is going out and you know the press is going to be reporting on every change within the the transaction. So that makes it quite exciting at the same time and is um, really helpful when you know you're putting in a lot of hours on the transaction. You can see how it's playing out in the public eye. Yeah, speaking of the high-profile scrutiny that a case like this gets, Bob, I'm sure that you were you spent months fielding far-ranging queries from the press. I know that I personally opened BBC News one morning, and this transaction was the head story. Yes, there is a lot, and there was a lot of focus on it. And again, I I would wake up in the morning and put the Today program on, and and hear from several of the people involved why it was not a good deal and the counter of why it was a good deal. So it is always more interesting to hear these things in the press or to read about them, particularly when you have the inside track and know really what is going on. And did the press coverage affect at all the actual underlying transaction? 
So the one thing on a takeover where press coverage does affect transaction is that if there is speculation in the market, then there is a requirement under the rules typically for that to be clarified. And there were a couple of occasions where Sky News got hold of um, stories uh, regarding Virgin's interest and that resulted in us um, having to make statements to the press first thing the next morning. So, in fact, a direct tangible impact from press coverage to how that affects our daily work. Yes, that's right. Brilliant. So turning on now spotlight over to Emily for the trainee's role on a case like this. So, Emily, what was your specific role in the case? As a trainee, I did the initial due diligence on Flybe, which involved um, reviewing a number of their contracts and checking to see if there were any major red flags or other issues which Virgin should be aware of. And this wasn't done just by corporate, this was done by all of the other teams as well. So I had to make sure that they were reviewing the correct documents and feeding in their results to us so that we could produce a comprehensive report on what the Virgin Consortium would be buying. Yeah. And so you mentioned red flags there. So often clients will have their own red lines for whether they want to proceed or do not wish to proceed with the transaction. Um, Could you give a flavour of kind of what kind of red flags a client may be looking for? Yeah, so the kind of things that we usually check for when we're reviewing these documents are if there's any change of control provisions. So, for example, if the owner of the company changes, then the counterparty to the contract may have an escape and the contract may terminate, which is not necessarily in the interest of the purchaser because they would want continuity and they are often buying the company for the contracts which are already in place. So Emily, what was your favourite moment on this case? I think it was actually getting the deal signed. (laughs) Often the way. Um, Yeah, it was particularly satisfying um, given the twists and turns that we'd had throughout the transaction and seeing it announced in the news. But also, although it's always good for the client to get their deal completed, this was particularly satisfying because we knew that there was a, a human element to it. And because Flybe was close to insolvency, a number of jobs would have been lost if we hadn't have completed the deal. So it was good to know that because of our work, Flybe could continue to operate and those jobs were saved. Definitely. So from a kind of culture side on working a transaction such as this, I'm thinking work-life balance, I'm thinking the team spirit. What were kind of the key highlights for you? Is there a real sense of camaraderie when you're working on a transaction such as this? Yeah, it's good because not only are you working uh, directly with the client and different external advisors such as bankers and accountants, we worked very closely as a team within HSF. I recall one afternoon we even went out to play shuffleboard at a bar around the corner just to keep everybody's spirits up after a particularly long night. So that was fun and it's good to um, actually take some downtime as a team amongst all of the chaos. Definitely. And placing this transaction in the wider context of your career, did your previous experience help and has it helped working on a transaction like this, your work post the transaction? So a number of things are fairly similar between public and private transactions. So I was able to use some of my previous corporate experience 
for example, in reviewing contracts and what to look for and organising the process. But this was my first public takeover. Since coming back into the group as an associate, I'm currently working on a, a different public takeover. And so having that experience of the Flybe transaction has been really helpful as I know the kind of documents that we're working on and what to look out for. That's great. And turning over to you, Bob, what do you typically expect from a trainee in a transaction like this? Well, the best trainees, and as I say that for the benefit of the listeners, I'm I'm looking at both you and Emily, the best trainees are ones that really become part of the team, that whilst they're only in the group for six months, they realise that they do have a vitally important role and they genuinely become a key element of the team who we all rely on. That's, I think, very polite and also true. How does it benefit, Bob, a trainee's career to be involved in these kind of high-profile complex cases? Emily's briefly touched upon some of the key takeaways that she's felt working on the transaction like this. I know I had similar takeaways from the, from the, work, the work that we did together. I think in two ways. First of all, experience. All experience is good experience and you never stop learning. And that's what I always tell graduates that I meet when they ask me about what the favourite part of my job is. And, and I can honestly say I've never had a day where I've been bored and I'm always learning. So I think every experience is a good one. Why is a high profile case beneficial? It's just a bit more interesting and ultimately interesting deals are memorable and give us the opportunity to talk about them in years to come reflect on them and use that experience for other projects so that would be my answer thank you so much everybody for listening just remember this is one of a three-part podcast series and you can find the other two podcasts on the website which is careers.herbertsmithfreehills.com forward slash uk forward slash grads